Genesis 24, verse number 1. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And by that I mean he was old. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath. Only bring not my son thither again." And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. Heavenly Father, we beseech you for your presence this evening. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd fill this building uh, as, as we can smell the, the fresh paint. May we experience the presence of the Spirit of God tonight. We plead with you for your blessings Teach us how to trust. May we learn from this example, or shall I say these examples. Bless we pray for Jesus' sake and glory. Amen. You may be seated. This entire chapter is fascinating to anyone who really loves the Word of God. There are a great many things here, most of which I do not have time to address. But I will ramble just a bit to point out several things about the world in which Abraham lived, because that's a part of the background here. It reveals things here found nowhere else in the Bible, and as far as I know, I've never read of anything like some of these in any secular literature, and I do a bit of reading. Quite frankly, all I can do is either nod my head or shake my head as I look at some of these things because they are so unique. There's the oath which the servant was asked to make. Isn't this the first oath of which we read in the Word of God? And then there's the business of the hand under the thigh. I can guess why that custom disappeared. But I don't know how it started. What was the purpose of this? All I can do is shake my head. And then we find it only one more time. And in that regard, it's uh, uh, Jacob having his son Joseph guarantee that Joseph would uh, take his body, Jacob's body, back to this same land. 
Why was it customary for unmarried girls to go out to the community well to draw water at certain times every day? We find this in several other places in the Word of God. We see some of these people's customs when it came to hospitality, when it came to, came to generosity and the entertainment of strangers. For example, this may be the first time that we read of feet washing, which is something that is carried through well into the New Testament period. Rebecca threw a veil over her face when she approached Isaac, but apparently she wasn't wearing one during the trip and in the presence of Isaac's servant. So what was the point of the, was this some sort of uh, uh, fiancé sort of thing? Some premarital custom that they had? I don't know. There are also hints about early marriage ceremonies. Both Abraham and Isaac married relatives, relatively close relatives. Was this common practice or was this special for this particular family? And then there's the fact that Abraham remarried at about the age of 140. Now, you don't hear that very often. <laughs> I don't know if it was common, but both Abraham and Isaac seem to be grieving over the death of Sarah in several different ways or unique ways. Uh, and we simply don't have time to get into all of these things. What I want to focus on is the faith of Abraham's servant. He adds a few points to our considerations on practical, serviceable faith. Perhaps you, like me, have heard messages from this chapter using this man to illustrate the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We see him being sent by the Father to find a bride for the Son an apt illustration of saving grace. I'd like to start there, but I'm going to digress just a little bit, not talking about that aspect so much as the faith that was found in this servant, the evangelist. We're not told in this chapter exactly who this servant is, but I'm going to call him Eliezer the evangelist. We see in verse 2 that this is Abraham's oldest and most trusted servant. So how old is the oldest servant in a family where people live to be over 100? I don't know. In chapter 14, Abram spoke of his most faithful and loved servant by name, calling him in that chapter Eliezer, Eliezer of Damascus. For the sake of a title for tonight's message, I'm just going to say that this was Eliezer the Evangelist. In regard to his faith, our first point is that it probably began with Abraham. There are all kinds of ministries, many of which you and I cannot participate for one reason or another. I would not be particularly good at a regular ladies' meeting. If the ladies wanted to have a Bible study every week, I think I would pass that responsibility on to somebody other than myself. And you might not make a very good pulpit 
preacher. But we all can be people of prayer. Yes. And we all may be able to spark a little flicker of faith in someone else. Rarely is there a man like Abraham whose faith in God is begun entirely through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to surmise that this servant learned to trust the Lord through Abraham. But it wasn't by way of family devotions. It wasn't Sunday sermons that Abraham was preaching. It wasn't a study of John Gill's theology. Let's say that he learned to trust the Lord by watching Abraham trust the Lord. In practical, day-to-day, everyday faith. I can teach you or try to teach you some of the principles of trusting God. That's the purpose of these, these lessons. But in reality, faith is not taught. It is caught. Most likely, this man's faith was transmitted from the heart of Abraham. And this fella picked it up. If this was Eliezer of Damascus, I would guess that he came into Abram's employ during the trip that, the, uh, that Abraham and his wife made coming down from Haran. They would have gone right past where Damascus is. Abram may have traded something to someone to have the right to add this man to his company. Or maybe Eliezer was a free man who saw an opportunity and he begged the pilgrim family to let him serve them. But then, over the years, he became closer and closer to the man of God, moving up among the servants of the family until he's the number one servant. And he is there observing and then catching Abraham's faith in Jehovah. Or, maybe this was a second chief servant, a replacement for the first Eliezer. In fact, he might have been the son of Eliezer the first. And I'll just say he was named after his father. So he's Eliezer the second. This may have been one of the young men who went to Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac. Perhaps this man learned to trust the Lord by listening to the excited talk between Abraham and his son on that return journey to Beersheba. He may have witnessed the change in Isaac's life and his faith and in the process was changed himself. Guesses on my part. Applications. One of the lessons here is that he was called into special service while already being in service. It is safe to say that the Holy Spirit is not going to fill and empower anyone today or at any time spectacularly using that person if he is not serving the Lord already. 
Yes, God may save and call a man like Saul of Tarsus and immediately fill him with the Spirit and put him in the pulpit and get him going. That, that can happen. But I'm convinced that a lazy, fruitless, prayerless, backslidden Christian is not going to become an instant, faith-filled, powerful evangelist. Got to be some changes first. God only fills empty vessels. But those empty vessels have to be clean and ready for service. Paul said to Timothy, after describing service of wood, hay, and stubble, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy 2.21 If the person's not cleansed and prepared, he's not going to be much use for the Lord's service. Eliezer speaks to Rebekah's family as though he was proud to be Abraham's servant. He just flat out said, I am Abraham's servant, and I'm here on a mission from my master, Abraham. That's verse 34. Until we are, and I say the word with caution, until we are proud to be God's bond slaves, we're never going to be very serviceable to the Lord. We learn from this man that victorious faith seeks the Lord's direction. Abraham called his most faithful servant, telling him that he had a special project for him to carry out. You could say that Eliezer was to be the father's special evangelist. Take a wife unto my son Isaac. Then the servant of faith began to ask some questions, suggesting that in himself he lacked confidence or wisdom. I need some help here. Initially, we don't see a man filled with conquering faith. What if she won't come? What should I do then? Should I take Isaac back to her house and introduce him to the family? What should I do? Eliezer asked questions, but he did so in faith, expecting to receive some answers. It's all right to ask questions. It's not pertinent to my lesson, but Abraham forbade Eliezer from taking Isaac back to Haran. First, Abraham was called away from that place, and he felt that that calling away was permanent, and it belonged to the rest of his family as well. Second, the religion of the rest of his family was faulty. It was hypocritical, the kind of stuff that Austin was talking about last Sunday morning. Whatever grandfather Terah and brother Nahor knew of Jehovah, they corrupted with their previous idolatry. And when Jacob finally goes back to this same place to find a wife, they're basically idolaters. Abraham was not going to permit Isaac to be exposed to that kind of religion. And do remember that Isaac's nearly 40 years old by this time. He's no kid. 
It was too dangerous to go back. Do not take my son back to Haran. Then this Eliezer immediately prepared and began his journey. But true faith is never foolish. Like Abraham years earlier, this man split the necessary firewood, so to speak. He took ten camels and covered them with provisions for the trip, gifts to be given to the woman and her family, and all the accoutrements necessary to bring the Lord's young lady safely to Isaac's home, which is now in Hebron. Sometimes faith doesn't know how to prepare. And in that case, all we can do is trust the Lord and, and it, it, he, he will meet our need. But sometimes God tells us to trust him through a surgeon's hand. Mm or through a friend's generosity. In such a case, that's not a dilution of our faith. It's just the application of it. <laughs> Study and learn the Word of God so that you will have the weapons you need for your spiritual warfare. Yes. The Lord then led the man to the city of Haran and Nahor, the two brothers of Abram. It may not have been miraculous leadership that took him there. I say that because the servant doesn't praise God for directing him to the spot. But once he got to the outskirts of the city, toward sundown, he prayed. And in his prayer, he expressed faith. Notice verse 12. And he said, O Lord God of my master, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master. Behold, I stand here by the well of water. The daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. He was sticking his neck out there, so to speak, in faith. I don't recommend that we pray like this, but notice the specifics of Eliezer's faith. Lord, bring to me the woman of your choice and reveal her to me by putting in her heart to do these two specific things. That well-raised young lady used her pitcher to draw water out of this well to meet the needs of a stranger. That was not unusual. That was not out of the ordinary. That was certainly not something to raise anybody's eyebrows. But to be willing to use her picture over and over and over again to fill up a trough of water to slack the thirst of ten needy camels is going a bit beyond the ordinary. I don't know how many times she had to put that picture down into the well. But it wasn't half a dozen times, it wasn't a dozen times, it was a great many times. 
We know that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. But God controls even the hearts of teenage girls. That may be even more miraculous, but it's true. Eliezer expressed truly unusual faith when he asked for these two things. And not only did the Lord bless that faith by bringing to him Rebekah, the niece of Abraham, but without any prompting on the man's part, she did exactly what he asked the Lord to have her do. He didn't ask her. He asked the Lord, and the Lord supplied. That's faith. And by the way, the man's faith was answered even before it was fully expressed. Verse 15, And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out of the city. The word behold suggests that this is surprising. Look at this. Here she comes. She was coming out of the city before he raised his eyes in the completion of his prayer. Also, in other ways, the Lord had been preparing this young woman for quite some time. She was beautiful, very fair to look upon. She was a young lady of faith. That doesn't happen instantaneously unless you're Saul of Tarsus. And she was kind and hospitable. She was well-trained. Rebecca was everything a young saint of God ought to be because the Holy Spirit had been grooming her, so to speak, for quite some time. At that point, if I was the servant, my camels are all refreshed now, at that point, I might have begun praising God and making a scene of myself, making a fuss, but not Eliezer. His faith wouldn't permit him to run ahead of the Lord. All right, this woman has met my criteria in a spectacular way, but is this really the woman? He doesn't know anything about who she is or her background at this point. He didn't know who this lady was until verse 24. When Rebecca did exactly as the man had prayed, verse 21 declares, And the man wondering at her held his peace, to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Even with the hand of the Lord on us, and with things going exactly as our faith has expected, that doesn't mean we know precisely what the Lord intends to do. Powerful and victorious faith is oftentimes patient faith, awaiting the Lord to work out all the details. This afternoon, this morning, I was preparing the history note for this coming Sunday. And I'll just say right now, this is illustrated, this patient faith. But then when God answers our Patient, expectant faith should become thankful faith. Notice the total lack of embarrassment on the part of this man of God. Standing there in front of this young woman, perhaps with other ladies in the vicinity, verse 26, the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said publicly, 
Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left my master of his mercy, left destitute my master of his mercy and truth, I being in the way the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And then later in the presence of Bethuel and Laban, Rebekah's brother, the man of faith once again said, Worship the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. He is not going to waste his faith by confining its blessings to his heart. He's going to share it with others. It has to be shared. He wants everyone to know how directly involved God is in the whole episode. And if you take time to notice, and in the verses that we've already read, there's not a word about himself in it. You've blessed Abraham. You've answered Abraham's needs. You have blessed my master Isaac. It's not, oh, thank you, Lord, for directing me. Thank you, Lord, for empowering me. Thank you, Lord, for giving me wisdom in regard to uh, meeting this woman. It has nothing to do with the servant. It's all about the Lord. Quite a bit of repetition throughout the chapter. You don't get a chance to see it all, but I'll just summarize it. The man's initial prayer at the well is fulfilled almost word for word when Rebecca gets there. And then when she brings him into her home where he meets her family, he states the purpose for his journey, beginning by repeating Abraham's words, who they knew at the time as Abram. Then he repeats what Rebekah did in the fulfillment of his prayer of faith. And he even tells his family, while I was out there, I bowed in worship before the well. Repeating it all. But Eliezer's faith is not complete until his purpose is complete. When Laban recommended that the family keep their sister for a few days, probably for the purpose of getting her ready and giving her her wedding gifts and marriage advice, that sort of thing, Eliezer said, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. It's not enough to be led by the Spirit to the woman of God's dreams. By faith, we need to bring her by the hand back to the Lord. In Matthew 8 and Luke 9, a potential disciple asks Christ for permission to take care of a family emergency before actually following the Savior. But Jesus told the man to put first things first, and Christ is first. Let the dead bury the dead while we move ahead. And then came perhaps the most spectacular faith of the whole chapter. I didn't even deal with Abraham's faith at the beginning of the chapter. Verse 58. And they called Rebekah. And they said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. Rebekah's trust, followed by her departure for Canaan, were almost as incredible as Abram's had been a century earlier. Just think about it. She's probably a teenager. She may be 15 years old. I don't know. She had been sequestered, probably never 
away from her family home except down to get water. Now she's going with a stranger to marry someone who is even more unknown to her than the servant is by this time. Sight unseen, she's going to marry. This was a permanent and life-changing choice. And by faith, she did it in full agreement with uh, everything that's been laid out to her. The Lord had given her a new heart which she did not possess the day before. Will you go with this man? Will you marry this other man? Yeah, I think I will. Amazing. What a beautiful picture of salvation and saving grace. A new heart. Someone might explain Rebecca's decision by saying that she was uh, uh, in an abusive relationship with her brother and her father and she wanted to get married to escape the home. (laughs) No. Another might say, oh, she's just a fickle teenager who's bedazzled by all the glittery gold gifts that have been given. Well, there must be more where this came from. Because I find her in the Word of God... And because there is no explanation of any sin in her heart, I'm going to say that she too was stepping out by faith to obey the Lord. Eliezer had been given a commission from his master, and he met the conditions of that commission perfectly. It was not a legalistic obedience which drove him. He was moved by faith. He was governed by faith. And furthermore, he was blessed because of his faith. God honored his faith by permitting him to lead a young soul back to his master, creating a new permanent relationship. This is an example of the way our faith should govern our day-to-day lives. And in particular... This is an example of how faith should be employed in our efforts at evangelism. It blessed my heart. 